Section 39 of Uther and Egrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uther and Egrine by Warwick Deeping. Book 4, Chapter 6. There was a preternatural brightness over sea and cliff that day. Headland and height stood limbed with a luminous grandeur. The sea was a vast opal. Mountainous clouds sailed solemn and stupendous over the world. Towards evening it grew still and sultry, and storms threatened. A vapory leviathan lowered black out of the east, devouring the blue, with scudding mists spray-like about his belly. The sky changed to a sable cavern. In the west, the sun still blazed through mighty crevices, candescent gold. The world seemed a chaos of glory and shadow. Seabirds came screaming to the cliffs. The walls of Tintagel burnt athwart the west. Presently, out of the blue bosom of an unearthly twilight, a vague wind rose. Gust came, clamored and died into nothingness. The world seemed to shudder. The dry bracken and grass on the hillsides hissed as the wind came seldom and tumultuous. The roadway smoked. In the valleys, the trees moaned, shivered, and stood still. Mark of the guard stood in the garden, leaning on his spear, watching the storm gathering above. It was his guard that night over the stairway leading to Egrine's room, and he stood under the shadow of the tower. A red sword flashed sudden out of the east and smote the hills. Thunder followed, growling over the world. Then rain came, and a whirlwind seemed to fly from the face of the storm. In the west, a burning crater still poured gold upon a restless and afflicted sea. It grew dark very rapidly, and a thundering canopy soon overarched Tintagel. Now and again, flaming cracks of fire ran athwart the dome of the night, lighting battlements and sky with a weird momentary splendor. Rain rattled on the stones and drifted, whirling against door and casement. Small torrents formed along the walks. Every spout and gully gushed and gurgled. Like an underchant came the hoarse cry of the sea. Mark had withdrawn under the arch of the tower's entry. A cresset flamed and spluttered higher up the stairway, throwing down an ineffectual gleam upon the man's armor as he stood and looked into the night. The storm fires lit his face, making it start out of the dark, white and spiritual, with largely luminous eyes. He held motionless at his post like a Roman soldier watching the downfall of Pompeii. Solitude possessed garden, court, and battlement, for no one stirred on such a night. The knights of the garrison were making merry in the great hall, and the men of the guard, unpestered by their superiors, had gathered a great company in the guardroom 
to emulate their officers. The scullion knaves and wenches had fled the kitchen. The sentinels had sneaked from their walls. There was no fear now of a leaguer. Had not Duke Gerlois declared as much before his sally? Mark alone stood at his post, listening to the laughter that reached him between the stanzas of the storm. His face was like the face of a statue, yet alert and eager for all its calm. More than once he went out through the storm of rain to the great gate and stood there listening, while the wind howled overhead. About midnight, the noise of gaming and reveling seemed suddenly to cease, as when folk hear the tolling of a bell for prayer. Only the wind kept up its hooting over the walls. Mark stood a long while by the guardroom door with his ear to the planking. Seldom a quavering cry came out to him, and the place grew empty of human sound. All Tintagel seemed asleep, though many casements still shone out yellow against the gloom. Mark slipped to the main gate. There was a postern in it for service after dark. He drew back the bolts and loosed the chain from the staple, and leaving the small door ajar, passed back to the tower's entry. Thunder went rolling over the sea. Mark left his spear by the porch and went up the first few steps of the stairway. He took the cresset from its bracket, carried it down, and tossed it into the court, where the flames spluttered out in the rain. Darkness accomplished, he went up the stairway to the short gallery leading to Igrine's room. At the top he stood and listened. He heard the sound of breathing and knew that it came from the woman Malmain who slept in the alcove before the door. Mark smote the wall a ringing blow with the handle of his poniard. A bench creaked. Someone yawned and began to grumble. It was so dark that the very walls were part of the prevailing gloom. Who's there? Mark stood aside. The cresset's out on the stairs. Two arms came groping along the wall. You've been asleep, cherub. Mark! You were forgetting our tryst? A thick, sensual laugh sounded from the stairhead. Something opaque moved in the dark. A pair of arms felt along the passage. A hand touched Mark's face. Malmain's arms wrapped the man's body. She lifted him to her with her great strength and kissed his lips. Rogue! Once, twice, a streaking shadow rose and fell with the faintest glinting of steel. There was a staggering sound, a wet cough a sharp-drawn breath, and then silence. Malmain fell against the wall with her hands to her side, held rigid a moment, and then slid into a heap. Mark bent over the woman and gripped her wrist. In a short while, he left the body lying there and moved to the door. Sliding his long fingers over the panels, he found the spring that marked the catch. Light streamed through into the gallery and fell upon Malmain as she lay huddled against the wall, 
her hair trailing along the floor like rills of blood. A lamp burnt in the room, showering a thin silvery luster from its pedestal, leaving the angles in dull brown shadow. The room was bare and bleak as a beggar's attic. The one window had been shuttered up against the rain, and the crazy lattice shook in the wind. The whole tower seemed to quake, pressed upon by the broad shoulders of the storm. Gorlois's wife lay asleep on a rough bed in the center of the room. Mark went forward and stood over her. The light fell upon Egrine's face and haloed it with a quiet radiance. Her hands were folded over her breast, and the man looking upon her face saw it drawn and haggard, even in sleep. It had a kind of tragic fairness, a stained beauty like the wistful strangeness of an autumnal garden. It was pale, piteous, thin, and spiritual. The flesh shone like white wax. The short hair glimmered like a net of gold. So changed, so ethereal was the face of the sleeper, that the man stood and looked at her with gradual awe. Past indeed was the blood-red rose of life, green summer with its ecstasy of song. Autumn's rich tapestries of bronze and gold were falling before the wind of winter and the shrill sword of death. The woman on the bed looked like some pale princess slumbering out her doom in some baleful tower. Egrine's sleep was shallow and ineffectual, a restless stupor impressed upon a troubled mind. The storm seemed to figure in her dreams. A kind of splendid misery played upon her face, such misery as floods forth from some old legend, strange and sad. Her hands tossed to and fro over the coverlet like fallen flowers stirred by a wind. Her lids drooped over half-opened eyes. A sudden gust broke the catch of the casement and swung the frame into the room. All the boisterous laughter of the storm seemed to sweep in with the wind. With the racket, Egrine woke and started up in bed upon her elbow. The lamp flame, draft slanted over the rim, gave but a feeble light. The room was filled with wavering darkness. Mark stood back from the bed. There was blood upon his tunic. For a moment he was speechless, like a man caught in a theft. In the dim light and to the half-awakened senses of the sleeper, the intruder stood for Galois, beard, face, and figure. A moment's hesitancy lost Mark the lead. The door stood wide. What ensued came crowded into the compass of a few seconds. Egrine, quick to conceive, jerked the coverlet from the bed. Before Mark could prevent her, she had thrown it over the lamp and smothered the flame. The room sank into instant darkness and confusion. Mark's voice sounded above the storm. Then came the slamming of a door, and silence save for the blustering of the wind. Egrine stood on the threshold in the dark and drew her breath fast. She had shut the man in the room, and the door opened only from without by a spring catch.
mark of the guard was trapped. And Melmain? Egrine remembered the woman, and heeding nothing of the voice that called to her from the room, groped her way to the stairhead, expecting at every step to hear the woman's challenge start out of the gloom. At the end of the gallery, she nearly tripped and fell over some inanimate thing. Reaching down, out of curiosity, she drew her hand back with a half-cry. Her fingers fouled with a thick, warm ooze. An indefinite terror seized her in the dark. She went reeling down the stairway, clutching at the walls, grasping the air. A faint outcry still followed her from the room above. In the garden, rain still rattled, and scud blew from the pools. Egrine stood motionless under the shadow of a cypress, with her face turned to the sky. Her ragged gown blew about her bare ankles, and the wind whirled rain into her face. She drew deep breaths and stretched out her hands to the night, for there was the kiss of liberty in this cold, shrill shower. Anon, the old fear urged her on, companion now by a reawakened courage. She was weak and starved, but what of that? The storm seemed to enter into her soul with its blustery vigor, crying to her with the multitudinous echoes of the night. What was the mere peril of the flesh to one who had faced spiritual torture more keen than death? Creeping round under the shadow of the wall, with quick glances darted into the dark, she made her way round the court to the great gate. The gatehouse was dark as the sky, and there was no tramping of sentinels from wall to wall. Egrain crept into the yawn of the archway, brushing along the stones. With each step, she listened for the rattle of a spear and looked for the armed figure that should clash out on her from the gloom. She won the gate, and leaned against it, breathless from mere suspense. Her fingers groped over the great beams, touched an outstanding edge, and tugged at it. The edge moved. A door came open and let in the wind. Egrine stood a moment and pondered this mystery in her heart. She had chanced on nothing in the whole castle, save one man and a corpse. Some strange doom might have fallen upon the place like the doom that smote the Assyrians in their sleep. Plain before her stood the open gate and liberty. The hint was sufficient for the occasion. Egrine, leaving Tintagel to the unknown, gathered her rags round her and passed out into the night. End of Book 4, Chapter 6 Recorded by Lori Nadeau Richardson, www.loririchardsonvo.com.